Hercules didn't have time to admire the snowy slopes of Mount Arimanthus. He was chasing a wild boar through the waist-deep powder. Today, though, the winter wonderland was no longer pure white. It was bathed in crimson blood. Hercules had chased the animal for days, and now it was finally tiring, wheezing blood with every breath. Unfortunately, Hercules knew the beast was still deadly. Every few steps, it lunged with its giant tusks, slicing effortlessly through nearby tree trunks. Hercules had to admire the animal. He had defeated the Nemean lion and even a multi-headed serpent, but this might be the most dangerous creature he had fought yet. The boar could kill him with one swipe. For a moment, Hercules wished there was someone here to experience it with him. With the snowy mountains looming overhead and the trail of blood leading deeper and deeper, it would be nice to have someone, anyone, at his side. Hercules couldn't think about that now, though. He had to focus on the boar, on not getting sliced by its tusks. He waited for the perfect moment and launched his heavy net over it. The boar shrieked and struggled, inadvertently pulling the net even tighter. Hercules then dove on top. He cinched the ropes around the animal's ankles. After a short skirmish, the boar went still, its breath steaming in the frigid air. Hercules swung the net onto his back and started hauling the creature back down the snowy mountain. He wanted to sit and enjoy the view, but he couldn't rest. He knew there were more beasts to come. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Tales, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Wednesday, we dive into the dark origins of another fairy tale. You can find all episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we're digging into the Aegean stables. This Greek saga follows Hercules on one of his infamous labors. Instead of battling a violent mythical beast, however, he faced a challenge that tested his cleverness and stomach. Coming up, Hercules encounters a different kind of monster. If you're joining me from Hercules' adventures on the last few weeks of Mythical Monsters, welcome. If not, please allow me to begin with some context. The line between fairy tale and myth is, in many ways, a question of culture and time. Just as the princesses in the Grimm Brothers' tales taught children life lessons, Greek myths instructed their society about morality and how to survive in a world ruled by gods. Even though they may be called myths, at their heart, many of them are familiar stories of heroes on quests. Some of the most popular were about Hercules. He appeared in numerous ancient Greek texts dating all the way back to the 5th century BCE. The stories of Hercules' labors captivated audience throughout history because of the life lessons he learned and the horrifying terrors that he faced along the way. Hercules strolled into King Eurystheus's court, dragging the captured pig. The animal struggled in the net, leaking blood all over the marble floor. Mighty king, Hercules bellowed. 
I bring you the Arimanthian boar. My fourth labor is complete. Hercules ticked it off in his head. Four challenges done, eight more to go, though it made him sick to think about why he was stuck doing these nearly impossible tasks. It all started years ago, when Hercules was born an illegitimate son of Zeus, the king of all gods. As a result, Hercules was blessed with nearly unmatched strength. But it also meant Zeus's wife, Hera, hated him. At one point, she placed a spell on the young man that tricked him into murdering his wife Megara and their three sons. As penance, Hercules agreed to perform the Twelve Labors. At the time, however, he didn't realize the challenges would be administered by this pompous king, Aristheus. Even the king's name made Hercules want to fly into a rage and destroy something. But today, when he looked around, he didn't see the haughty king, or anyone else in the throne room for that matter. Hercules peered around the enormous, empty hall. That's strange, he thought. Even the boar seemed confused. Then Hercules heard a peculiar sound, shaking, tinkling, like pottery in the first tremors of an earthquake. Hercules braced for the ground to erupt, but nothing happened. Then he realized the sound was coming from behind the king's throne. There he noticed a pithos, a tall ceramic jar installed in the floor. It was intended to hold food scraps and other refuse from the king, but today the pithos seemed to be moving. Hercules adjusted his grip on the netted boar and strode over to the pithos. When he peered inside, he saw none other than King Eurystheus, cowering inside the huge terracotta container. Your Majesty? Hercules asked. Eurystheus trembled. Get rid of that animal, Hercules! Get rid of it right now! Hercules grinned, realizing the king's discomfort. But, cousin, you asked me to bring it to you alive. Hercules swung the beast's head closer to the pot, letting the stench of matted fur and blood fill the king's nostrils. Eurystheus pointed outside. I don't care what I said, just take it away! Hercules lugged the boar outside and across the city to the temple to Athena. There, he sacrificed the animal to his half-sister, the goddess of battle strategy and wisdom. She had helped him through some of the worst labors, and he might need her in the future. A little blood sacrifice goes a long way with the gods, he thought. When Hercules returned to Eurystheus's court, the king was back on his throne, though he was still shaking. Hercules stifled a laugh and lowered himself into a customary bow. Even though the labors so far had been dangerous, he'd been able to conquer each one of them. In a way, they were even fun. So what's next, Majesty? He said cheerfully. Eurystheus steepled his fingers, and a mischievous grin spread across his face. I must not be challenging you enough, Hercules. Your penance should be difficult, humbling, but you make a mockery of it. Hercules doubted that Eurystheus would know humility if it bit him on the rear, but he wasn't allowed to say that. Eurystheus then pointed into the distance. For your fifth labor, I have a friend in the kingdom of Elis who needs some help. Hercules waited with bated breath. 
There were so many monsters to fight, he wondered how many eyes this one would have and how many teeth. But then Eurystheus said something that Hercules never expected. I need you to clean the stables of King Augeus. Hercules blinked at him, confused. Stables? On a farm? Eurystheus nodded. That's one way to say it. Hercules squinted at the little gray king. Did you run out of monsters for me to fight? Maybe next time you'll want me to put on an apron and cook something. Eurystheus shook his head. There will be plenty of monsters later. Now get going. Hercules hesitated for a moment, but he had agreed to 12 labors, and it was true. No one had ever specified that they all be monsters. So he slung his club on his back, donned the skin of the Nemean lion, and set out toward Elis. After all, he strove to be a man of his word. The road was long and dusty through the Greek countryside, but Hercules passed the time considering how strange this labor would be. Compared to the many deadly challenges he had faced, this one seemed oddly easy. Perhaps Eurystheus simply hoped to embarrass him by making him do menial labor. Still, with Hercules' strength, he would make quick work of a stable. He would sweep up some hay, clean out the troughs, and be on to the next challenge in no time. After hiking for many hours, Hercules arrived at the edge of a cliff. Looking down, he saw a sprawling valley bordered by two mighty rivers, the Alpheus and Peneus. The valley was the most beautiful land he had ever seen. There were fields of clover, waterfalls, and green, grassy hills stretching all the way to the sea. Scattered across them were herds of cattle with more cows than Hercules could count. Hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands. Hercules was admiring the view when he noticed a young man a short distance away on the cliff's edge. He seemed poised, ready to jump. Hercules called out to him. You there, are you okay? The young man wiped tears from his eyes and stepped back from the edge. Hercules saw that he was a handsome boy with dark curly locks and skin the color of chestnuts. Y you're Hercules, the boy stammered. Hercules nodded matter-of-factly. Does the lion skin give it away? The young man blushed and introduced himself as Phileus, the son of Augeus. Hercules stood up a little taller. What a fortuitous meeting. I've traveled many miles to clean out your father's stables. Can you show me the way? Phileus shook his head vehemently. I'm never going back there. My father is a tyrant. Hercules rolled his eyes playfully. You think you have it bad. Have you seen my father? At that, Phileus chuckled, a smile spread across his face. After a moment, he looked at Hercules and nodded. Fine, I'll take you to the stables, but trust me, you'll wish you never laid eyes on them. The young man brought Hercules to a hill overlooking another section of the valley. Down below was the largest stable Hercules had ever seen. It had a massive roof that seemed to go on for miles, and it must have had stalls for thousands of cows. Hercules was impressed. Eurystheus had certainly picked the most challenging stable in the world. It would take many hours to sweep up all the hay under that roof. 
But if Hercules could chase a giant boar for days on end, he could easily push a broom through these stables. Then, however, Hercules noticed something strange. A smell wafted up from the valley, the unmistakable odor of death, rot, and putrefaction. It was so strong, it burned Hercules's nose and caused his eyes to water. That's when Hercules saw that the stables were filled with acres and acres of cow dung. Hercules recoiled at the sight, but that wasn't the worst part. He realized the ruddy brown mass seemed to be moving. It writhed and undulated like an enormous flatworm. Hercules wondered if perhaps it was a beast he had never seen before, but then he noticed that it wasn't one organism. It was moving because it was covered in millions of maggots, flies, and other insects. Hercules suddenly felt lightheaded. He crouched down and retched. Even though he had skinned the mighty Nemean lion, slayed the many-headed Hydra, brought back the goddess of the hunt Diana's sacred deer, and captured the largest boar on Earth, suddenly he realized they didn't compare to this challenge. It was the worst monster he had seen yet, and it might very well kill him. Coming up, Hercules meets the man behind the mess. The most urgent mysteries in the world are missing persons cases. The stakes are too high not to pursue every plausible possibility, and some implausible ones too. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new podcast, Disappearances. In 2020, after spending years searching for the truth, I use social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now, every Thursday on Spotify, I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. From child abductions and mystifying murders to those who took drastic measures to start over, each episode of Disappearances journeys through a different high-profile missing persons case, ripped from the headlines and ripe for explanation. Because no one just vanishes into thin air. The answers are out there, waiting to be found. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances. Hear a new episode every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Overlooking King Augeas's stables, Hercules couldn't believe his eyes or nose. The filth was worse than he could have possibly imagined. In Greek society, handling such waste would be more than just disgusting. It was the ultimate humiliation, a sullying of his very soul that could dull his divine heritage. If he even touched the brown mess, there would be no redemption and no forgiveness. He would likely be remembered more for touching the filth than for accidentally murdering his family. He suddenly knew why Eurystheus had chosen this labor, but there was nothing he could do about it now. Hercules looked over at Phileus. Why has your father let it come to this? Phileus trembled. I told you, he's a tyrant, and he's too much of a miser to pay for the cleaning. Hercules choked back the feeling of retching again. Take me to him, please. 
Filius grimaced. That was the last place he wanted to go. Hercules had seen many great kingdoms in his time, but Augeas's palace was grander than them all. Attendants bustled to and fro, carrying silver trays of delicacies. In the halls were endless paintings and sculptures. There were lavish gardens with peacocks, the sacred animals of Hercules's stepmother, Hera. At the far end of the hall, Augeas sat on a heavy gold throne. When he saw Phileus arrive, he shook his head. You again? I thought you were going to jump from a cliff. Phileus's head slumped and he turned to leave, but Hercules stopped him. The great warrior banged his club on the ground. What father treats his son like this? Even I am treated better by my family. Augeas nearly choked on a grape. Who dares question my parenting? As Hercules approached, though, the king realized... Hercules? He stammered. Hercules gave the old man a half bow. The one and only. I'm here to clean those disgusting stables of yours. Augeas howled with laughter. You think you can clean my stables, so-called son of Zeus? Hercules felt an urge to strangle this man and bash his head with his club, but he calmed himself. I know I can. In fact, I can do it in a day. As soon as the words were spoken, Hercules realized he shouldn't have opened his mouth. Augeas nearly fell out of his chair. A day? You must be kidding. Even Zeus couldn't clean the stables in a day. Hercules knew Augeas was right, but he couldn't back down from this arrogant king. Perhaps we could make it a wager, he said. If I do it, you must give me 10% of your land and cattle. Augeas stopped laughing and became serious. There's no way you could finish in a month, let alone a day. (laughs) So, fine. If you can clear my stables by sunrise, I will give you 10% of my land and cattle. Hercules grinned, slung his club on his shoulder, and rushed out of the palace. As soon as he was outside, Hercules's shoulders slumped. He knew his pride had gotten him into trouble again. Now what was he supposed to do? He certainly couldn't touch the brown muck. Hercules trudged across the green valley, pondering ways to clean the stables. He was so lost in thought that he barely noticed an owl land on a nearby tree branch. A moment later, the bird transformed into his half-sister, the goddess Athena. She shook her head at him. Oh, Hercules, not again. Hercules stopped in his tracks. I don't need your pity. I'm going to handle this. Athena looked at him dubiously. How? She asked. A coy grin spread across Hercules's face. I happen to be close with the goddess of strategy and wisdom. Seen her around anywhere? Athena rubbed her temples in frustration. Hercules, I can't get you out of every dilemma. Are you familiar with the saying, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime? Hercules stared at her blankly. Athena shrugged. I guess you'll just have to do this one on your own then. As she transformed back into an owl, Hercules tried to grab it. Athena, wait! But it was too late. She flapped away. 
Alone again, Hercules sat on a giant rock looking down on the valley. He could see the sun setting in the distance. It was almost night, and he hadn't even started work on the stables. He realized he'd never finish by dawn. As he was sitting there, he noticed Phileus approaching. Mind a little company? The young man asked. Hercules made room on the rock and gestured for him to sit. I've seen some real tyrants in my day, but your father is one of the worst. Don't listen to him. Phileus smiled with appreciation. Thanks. So how are we going to clean the stables? He asked. Hercules shook his head. There is no we. Phileus looked hurt. Why not? I'm not as strong as you, but I'm a hard worker. Hercules hadn't told anyone he was here to clean the stables as one of his labors, and he didn't want to start now. It opened too many scars. After a moment, he turned to Phileus. It's a long story. Just know that I have to do this alone, okay? Phileus looked at Hercules curiously, then nodded. What will you do? He asked. Hercules shook his head. I don't know. I'll probably just wander through your kingdom until inspiration hits. Phileus patted the giant warrior on the leg. Just be careful of the rivers. They're dangerous this time of year. People have been washed away. All of a sudden, Hercules grabbed Phileus by the shoulders. A jolt of adrenaline shot through his body. Phileus, my beautiful friend, you did it! Phileus blushed. A look of confusion washed over his face. Before he could ask what had happened, Hercules raced down the hillside into the valley. Phileus struggled to follow as the great hero sprinted toward the huge stables. Hercules pinched his nose as he got closer. The smell became almost unbearable. When he reached the closest end of the sprawling building, he tore one of the giant doors from its hinges. Like a lake being released from a dam, a cascade of dung squeezed out of the opening onto the ground outside. Hercules had to leap aside to avoid it. Then he sprinted to the other end of the massive stable. There, he ripped another barn door off its hinges. When Phileus caught up to Hercules, he was out of breath. Hercules, he panted. Why are you opening the doors? Hercules grinned at the young man and tussled his hair. Just watch. Hercules dashed to one side of the valley where the river Alpheus meandered. He found a particularly tight serpentine section of the water. It was held back by a great rock at least five times his size. Hercules slid his fingertips between the rock and the ground. The cold water numbed his hands immediately. He tried to grip the stone, but his fingers slipped, unable to find purchase. He couldn't give up now, though. The sun would be rising soon. He had to channel his anger to lift the rock. After a moment, he swallowed a lump in his throat and allowed himself to remember his dead wife and sons. Their faces flooded back to him. All of a sudden, his body coursed with anger, his muscles tensed, and he let out a roar that shook the whole valley. This time, as he lifted the stone, it broke free. With the river unblocked, Hercules angled it toward the stables. It soaked the grass, turning the field into a marsh, but the water didn't quite reach the giant structure. Hercules needed more water. 
Thankfully, he realized there was another river across the valley, the Peneus. As he dashed across the valley, he noticed first light was touching the horizon. Time was running out. When Hercules arrived at the second river, he spotted a cliff hanging above it. If he could cause a rock slide, the rocks and mud would divert the stream directly to the stables. He immediately went to work stomping on the cliff, making it crumble into the river. After one giant footfall, the whole hillside gave way. Hercules was caught in the cascade of mud and water, and soon he was being pulled along toward the stables too. As he tumbled over and over in the water, he realized if he was washed into the dung, all of this hassle would be for naught. He might as well have climbed into the stinking feces himself. He grabbed desperately at every passing branch and rock, but he couldn't hold on. He tried to swim for the side of the river, but the current was too powerful. Finally, as he was about to be dumped into the swirling mess, he reached out and grabbed a beam of the stable. After a moment, he climbed safely onto the roof. From his perch, he was able to watch the two rivers flow into the building and flush all of the maggot-infested sludge out to the sea. Finally, as the water subsided, Hercules jumped down from the roof. Phileus sprinted over to him, his ebony curls and tan body soaking wet. You did it! He exclaimed. Hercules smiled at him. Piece of cake. Then he hugged the young man. There was something comforting about him. But as they embraced, Hercules heard someone applaud behind him with slow, exaggerated claps. He turned to see Augeas standing nearby with a crowd of onlookers. The light of dawn illuminated the king's malicious grin. Good work, Hercules. Too bad you cheated. Coming up, Hercules tries to control his temper. Now back to the story. As the sun rose over the valley, Hercules stood in front of King Augeas's stables. He had diverted the rivers and washed away the mountains of dung without defiling himself. He even seemed to have made a friend along the way, the young, handsome Phileus. But now, King Augeas stood in front of the two young men. Well, well, the feces is gone, but it was replaced by a traitor and a disgraced warrior. Phileus shrank behind Hercules, but the great Greek warrior stepped forward. Your insults are like arrows of straw, Augeas. Besides, it's time to pay up. I cleaned your filthy stables in less than a day. King Augeas wagged his finger at Hercules. I don't owe you anything. In fact, during the night, I received a message from my good friend Eurystheus. Apparently, you're already being paid for this task. Hercules folded his muscular arms across his chest and stood defiantly. Credit for penance is not payment, Augeas. You and I had an agreement, and you must honor it. Select which of your cattle and lands I will take, and we will call it even. Augeas turned to the crowd. Apparently, Hercules's memory has more holes than my stables. He clearly isn't remembering correctly. Right, Phileus? 
he pointed at his son, who suddenly became the subject of everyone's attention. The young man trembled, uncertain what to say. Finally, he looked at Hercules. I... I'm sorry, he stammered and fled across the field. Aegeus held out his arms to the crowd. See? Hercules is wrong. Now run along back to Eurystheus, bastard son of Zeus. Hercules felt his hands clench tightly into fists. Waves of rage rippled through his body, from his spine out to his extremities. His fingertips and toes tingled as he readied to attack this smug little king where he stood. Just as he was about to spring into action, however, he heard the hoot of an owl. Hercules looked around, but no one else appeared to have heard it. Suddenly, Athena appeared at his side. Control yourself, she whispered. This isn't the time for bloodshed. Hercules glanced at Augeas and the other bystanders. From their unchanged faces, he knew they couldn't see or hear the goddess. He concealed his mouth for a moment. What do I do? He whispered to her. Athena patted his shoulder. Tell him you'll submit to the judgment of a court. Hercules' eyes grew wide. Court? He whispered. What am I supposed to do in court? Aegeus cocked his head at Hercules. Is something wrong, Hercules? Hercules shifted his focus from the mirage of Athena back to Aegeus. Court, he blurted out. If you believe you're right, let's submit this matter to the court. At first, Augeus and his companions looked shocked, but then the king clapped his hands in celebration. Everyone knew Hercules was not a scholar, let alone a student of the law. Sure, he was the most powerful warrior in the land, but in the courtroom, he would be as eloquent as one of Augeus's cattle. Augeus grinned at everyone. You heard the man. We shall take this matter to court. As the king led the group away, Hercules remained behind with the ghostly specter of Athena. After a moment, he turned to her. What am I supposed to do in court? I'm a warrior, not an orator. He probably has a team of legal scholars on his side. Athena squinted at him. You don't need legal scholars if you're right. Hercules held up his hands in frustration. But it's my word against his. Athena shrugged. Well then, have better words. As she started to vanish, Hercules reached for her, but his hands only grasped air. Athena! Athena, come back here! A short time later, Hercules followed Aegeus and the crowd of onlookers into their hall of justice. Behind a long dais sat a group of men in stark white robes. They reminded Hercules of the pompous teachers who laughed at him when he was in school, the kind of people who told him he was only good at one thing. Hercules's muscular shoulders slumped. The deck was stacked against him, and without Athena, there was no way he could argue his way out of this. Augeus was the first to speak. He addressed each judge by name and asked about their children and crops. Once the schmoozing was done, he argued that agreements between Greeks were binding no matter what the circumstances were. But Hercules didn't have that. The deal was all a fantasy. 
By the time the king was done speaking, the whole courtroom seemed to be nodding in agreement with him. Even the judges looked dubiously at Hercules. They gestured for him to begin with raised brows. The warrior suddenly felt a strange sensation in the pit of his stomach. It felt like hummingbirds flapping their wings or some other tiny insect. He had never felt that before, even when he faced off against the multi-headed serpent Hydra. Ladies and gentlemen, he began, I, I need a minute. Hercules had never run from anything in his life, but he felt the urge to flee the courtroom. He wished he could be anywhere but here. He glanced around, hoping for Athena to appear again. Athena, he whispered, where are you? Suddenly, she materialized next to him, though once again, the others couldn't see her. I've never seen you like this before, she said. Hercules stared daggers at her. Neither have I, and I don't like it. It's all your fault. If I just killed them before, I'd already be home. Athena grinned and gestured to the courtroom. You don't get it. This is just another battle, Hercules, except your mind is your weapon. Use your words instead of swords. Hercules gave her a pointed look. Once again, she was speaking in riddles, but as she started to disappear, she gave him one last hint. She gestured to the back of the room. There, Hercules saw Phileus. All of a sudden, Hercules had an idea. He turned to the judges and Aegeus. Just so I understand correctly, you admitted that a spoken agreement between two Greeks is binding, right? Aegeus chuckled. Yes, if we had one, but we didn't. Hercules held up his finger. If I could produce a witness who would attest to the opposite, would that sway the court? Most of the judges nodded at him. Aegeus, however, became agitated. There's, there's no way, he stammered. There were no witnesses. Hercules stepped closer to the judge's table. Your honors, I'd like to call a witness, King Augeus's son, Phileus. Everyone in the room turned to see Phileus step forward. He walked hesitantly toward the dais. Your honors, he said, Hercules is right. My father didn't think it could be done in one day, so he bet Hercules 10% of his land and cattle. At that, the whole courtroom gasped. Augeus's face went white with shock, then purple with rage. You, you ungrateful liar! Phileus held his father's gaze. I don't have to take it from you ever again. Seeing Phileus stand up to his father made Hercules proud. It was even better than seeing Augeus's face smashed to a pulp on the ground. Hercules looked around to thank Athena, but she was nowhere to be seen. The joyful mood, though, was interrupted by Augeus. As king of this land, he intoned, I supersede this court. Therefore, I take it upon myself to banish Hercules and Phileus from my lands. 
Hercules felt the familiar pang of anger rising in him again. But before he could act, Phileus ushered him outside. The young man was euphoric after standing up to his father, and the two walked together for a long time. Finally, they stopped at a hillside overlooking the valley where they had first met. Hercules turned to the young man and admired his ebony locks and tanned skin, even though he missed his wife and sons. When he looked at Phileus, it stirred feelings deep inside him. He wanted to invite the prince to join him on his path back to Eurystheus, but he knew he couldn't. The rules of his twelve labors forbid it. He had to do them alone. After a moment, he cleared his throat. Thank you he said hesitantly. Phileus shook his head. It is I who should thank you. Without your help, I never would have stood up to my father, he said. Hercules grasped him by the shoulders. But he's still alive. He'll just remain the same old man. Phileus nodded. It's all right. Happiness comes with time. Hercules squinted at him. He hated pithy sayings and riddles. Phileus sounded like his half-sister Athena, but as his words started to sink in, Hercules grinned at the young man. In time, he echoed. The two men shared a long embrace and then went their separate ways. When Hercules arrived back at the court of Eurystheus, servants were still scrubbing the boar's blood from the marble floors. Eurystheus tapped his fingers on his throne. So, you tried to double-cross Augeus, I heard. Hercules grinned, refusing to let the king get the better of him. I cleaned the stables as you requested. So, what's my next labor? Eurystheus milked the moment, stroking his beard. I believe an extra labor is in order, since you got paid for this one. Hercules felt the rage rise within him. His hands hardened into fists, and he imagined all the horrible ways he could tear Eurystheus limb from limb. He was about to step forward and destroy him when he remembered his friend, Phileus. Happiness comes with time, he had said. Hercules slowly opened his hands and looked to Eurystheus. Whatever you wish, Majesty. Where shall I go next? Fairy tales are defined by their heroes, and there's arguably no bigger hero in history than Hercules. Normally, this monolith's heroism comes from his unmatched brawn. But with the Aegean stables, the emphasis shifts. Cleverness over power, brain over brawn. First, Hercules uses cunning and strategy to clean out the stables. Then, he argues his case in front of the early Greek court. As an unusual Hercules story, the Aegean stables provided an important lesson for all Greeks, reminding them that there are different ways to be a hero. Ironically, though, there's a postscript to the tale. The story goes, many years later, after Hercules completed his twelve labors, he returned to Elis when he waged war against Augeas. After defeating the old king, Hercules took all his land and gave it to Phileus. So perhaps the lesson of the Augean stables has a darker side. If strength comes from brains, happiness comes from revenge. 
Thanks for listening to Tales. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new and exciting story. You can find more episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you're interested in continuing the adventures of Hercules, join me over on Mythical Monsters this Monday as we join the son of Zeus for his next great challenge, the Stymphalian Birds. Join me next week for another dark and surprising fairy tale. Tales is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Tales was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jen Riche, with writing assistance by Adam De Silva and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new Spotify original from Parcast, Disappearances. Every Thursday, join me for an exploration into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Following timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the truth. From prison breaks and child abductions to second chances, and even murder. We'll journey through the many reasons people disappear. Follow my new podcast, Disappearances, free and only on Spotify.